All right. So, Bob, we're back. Episode four of Two Guys in the Cloud. And and uh, once again, we have a third guy. It's always great to have a guest here join us and make us yes. look smarter for sure. And our third guy is Tim Donovan. Tim, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for the opportunity to get on here and talk about cloud. That's yeah. Good. Yeah, that's right. So, yes, of course. So as the big intro for Two Guys in a Cloud, you know, really is what, you know, the title conveys. It's a couple guys just talking about the cloud and all that it brings to the marketplace and the technology and impact to the economy and areas of innovation and all the players. And it's very spanning. It's a very, you know, wide spanning conversation that, you know, we're beginning to have and having a lot of fun along the way. Um, our goal today is to introduce, you know, part of the the dialogue, which we've, you know, unfortunately gotten not gotten to yet, which is AWS, right? So, you know, Bob and I have a rich background, largely in Microsoft and Azure, um, but of course, that's just one component. Cloud and AWS represents a very significant other big component to it, and our our hope is to sort of, you know, be, kind of jump in and talk about all this stuff. So. Um, maybe can you give us an introduction of, you know, kind of your background, where you're coming from and how you how you get to the picture? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I won't give you the the whole long story. You can see there's a little gray in my beard. But the, uh, you know, in terms of cloud, my first exposure, uh, there was a handful of us uh, back at MCI, the old MCI, that uh, were tasked with building an infrastructure as a service business. You know, this is back in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my first, but it, honestly, the, the hypervisor wasn't there. I mean, it, the, there was ESX, but uh, you know, the overhead for ESX, it wasn't viable. You know, it was still us uh, effectively renting hardware almost uh, with an image, managing the image, and then doing some platform management as well. But uh, after that, I ran a SaaS business for a company called VeriSign. Mm -hmm. So uh, Verisign was probably the largest, I want to say, uh, doing back office for all your telcos, your wireless telcos. So uh, mostly tier two, but a few tier one. So uh, and then from there, I almost I, I jumped directly into cloud. So this would have been, you know, in the 2009 time frame. I was hired by uh, the Department of Labor and tasked with uh, coming up with uh, how they comply with the executive orders for cloud adoption. So, and it was, a lot of it was being, you know, driven by the Office of Management and Budget. Mm -hmm. So, uh, working with the Office of Management and Budget and working with NIST. So, peculiar, peculiar the, what happened was the, they, they came out with a, an executive order and a mandate for cloud adoption within cloud before anybody had defined cloud. So, uh, in order to be compliant, in order to get your funding from through OMB, you know, we had to decide who was complying with this. One was defining what cloud is so that we could demonstrate uh, compliance. So uh, working with yeah. NIST. That sounds uh, like the uh, all the generation of government economy. Great yeah. jobs around defining a, an entity that doesn't exist yet. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. So um, and then from there, uh, I jumped in with NetApp. Uh, they were launching their virtual data on tab cloud appliance. And uh, I was part of the first reInvent AWS in 2012. Uh, launching that product, which has come a long way. So, uh, you know, it's now the core of the business for NetApp and then kicked around, you know, at a number. The way AWS does it is you have uh, uh, technology partners and then you have consulting partners. So us as Insight, we're a consulting partner. But up until coming to Insight a little over a year ago, 
I had spent almost all of my career uh, or most of my cloud career as a technology partner. So building these platforms, the kind that they sell in marketplace and, and such. But uh, and that's kind of my background. So over the last a little over a year, we've been building this AWS practice within Insight. Yeah. Okay, great. No, thank you. Um, it, it's interesting hearing you talk about the different kind of partners, technology versus consultant partners. It's just so real about our business that, you know, we're in these ecosystems and there's all this vernacular and you have to understand, you know, just you have to understand a different vocabulary unto itself and how AWS positions its partners versus how Microsoft positions its partners. And I think I think what you were saying is a technology partner was what I would call an ISV. Is that fair? Am I hearing that correctly? And a consultant partner would be more like a systems integrator. Is that kind of what you're saying? Exactly. You're 100% okay. right. Yeah. Well, it's one of the terms. There's a lot of also known as. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of AKAs in there. But, uh, but yeah, ISV is a good way to look at it. And that's yep. what, if you ever made a marketplace purchase through Amazon, that's the nomenclature they use, ISV. Actually, it's a very good segue. So marketplace, which is that's another sprawling topic in the world that we live. And I, you know, my interpretation of the marketplace with AWS is that it's very mature. Um, but it may, you know, and when we talk about marketplace, we're not talking about, you know, going to Amazon and buying books. You know, you're, you're talking about a completely different concept. Um, can you describe it? You know, when we talk about the AWS marketplace. What do you what are you talking about? Well, it's, it means different things to different. The, if you're an AWS customer uh, and you might be a direct customer, you might be going through a partner like Insight, you can go to Marketplace and make a purchase. Uh, you can purchase anything, uh, you know, just about, you know, whether it's NetApp or Dell EMC, anything that you could possibly imagine. It's pretty expansive, the catalog now. But as you guys know, you know, some of our customers have some scale and that scale affords them certain discounts. For those same types of offerings that they will buy in marketplace if you just buy them straight from marketplace it would, wouldn't represent your discount so the world that uh, my team and i live in a lot more now is that uh, customers who want to make a marketplace purchase but also want to get the benefit of that uh, special pricing that they might have uh, been afforded due to their scale that they're getting through insight will come up with a, a consulting partner private offer in which case they're able to get that discount uh, uh, that they may have gotten with uh, Insight had they not gone through Marketplace. Only that dis same discount or something in, in close parity will be purchasable through Marketplace. And it's a very specific process. Uh, you know, we same follow similar, but we give them a quote. They say, yes, you know, this, this makes sense. And then uh, we enter it into our marketplace portal and Amazon does their stuff. And then uh, what they do is they create a link, Elliot, and that link, uh, we send that to the customer. And when the customer clicks on that link, that's how they transact that marketplace purchase. And it's transacted through AWS as opposed to, you know, maybe a distributor or, or it, and actually in that case, Amazon is doing the payment processing. So they're, they're not even getting an invoice from Insight even yeah. though they, they are getting that preferential pricing that they may have uh, uh, brokered with Insight. And yeah, they're getting the, the critical mass of Insight and the price benefits of Insight. But so like, so just to talk it you know, back, right? So if I had a, you know, and I'll just do it at a very, very high level. If I had a, you know, virtual server propped up within AWS and I want to create a backup, you know, component to that, I could go to the marketplace and I'll just, you know, what, what's a good backup 
you know, that you want to throw out there? I'll just, just, uh, really... we do a little, it's mostly DR as a service, but uh, you have everything from Veeam to Nutanix. Let's to, just use Veeam just to, yeah. so, you know, one of the things I could do is I could go to the marketplace and, and create Veeam the mm-hmm. solution and subscribe to it on the AWS marketplace and it would provision and become active within my virtual server, right? I could, I could do it that way. Um, yep. But what you're saying is that in doing that, I'll, it's almost as if I'm paying, you know, MSRP. I'm going to pay a you certain are. retail price. But if I wanted to get a discount, one of the things I could do is I could get that same offering and I could, you know, I could buy that vis-a-vis insight through that marketplace, get that discount, and it would provision the same way. You nailed it. And you actually use the word subscribe because that's exactly what they call it. Yeah. You've done yeah. this cloud stuff before, haven't you, Elliot? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but but the truth is that it's a little different. You know, Azure is a different framework, and I don't know if it works exactly like that in the Azure marketplace or within the Microsoft ecosystem. And, you know, kind of part of this conversation is beginning to, you know, kind of parse out the differences between the two, because there are differences. I mean, there are very much, you know, a lot of similarities. And, you know, for those that don't know it, you know, Microsoft and AWS play nice together sometimes, and there's a lot of, you know, synergy there too. But, you know, when it comes to engaging each of them in their own universe, you have to know some of these nuances. And um, the marketplace is certainly one of them, you know, as, yeah. as I've understood it. So, okay, let me ask this. So, you know, from a value add perspective, you know, there's this auto provisioning component to it, which I sort of just insinuated. I'm like, okay, well, I have a server and I need a backup service. So I, you know, engage Veeam and I subscribe and it, you know, in theory could auto provision, right? I don't have to do much to get it installed and configured, correct? Yeah. So if you do it, there there are, what you have to, what we need to be empathetic of is there's a huge catalog and there's varying degrees of maturity. And there are vendors in marketplace that you can do, as you mentioned, where you go click through uh, terms and you pay list price, but they actually haven't, they don't, they don't have that uh, experience. They haven't built that practice around the CPPOs. So uh, myself and team, we're Just actually- Just for, for those on the call that don't know what a CPPO is, um, what would Consulting you partner, private offer. There you go. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> Which so, is they, which is that, and that's AWS vernacular. You like I wouldn't say that on the Microsoft side, but that I get it. Go for it. Sorry. Yeah. So the um, these they've never done a consulting partner private offer. So uh, you know this the, the way they there, there's there's a good bit that you need to get your head around, and there is a delta. There's things called disbursements, and you know there's there's still a wholesale price. You know there's obviously everybody in the equation. The customer is trying to get the best value for the money, and then you have you know, a few for-profit companies that are trying to make sure that, you know, they're, they're, they're making a little bit of change, but they've never done this before. So it becomes a learning experience for everyone. So um, it's, I don't, I couldn't tell you what percentage uh, have some uh, capability to do these marketplace purchases versus, you know, how many we're doing for the first time. But, uh, you know, it, what we're finding is a lot we're doing for the first time. So we're all learning together. You know, it's a, uh, I wouldn't say it's nascent, uh, you know, it's, uh, and it's certainly not, it depends on the partner, right? Some of it's mm-hmm. uh, more minimal than it is viable in terms of minimally, minimally viable, but uh, <laughs> everybody's willing to and uh, eager to do it because the customers are seeing great advantages to doing these marketplace purchases. One thing, Elliot, is it uh, allows you to burn down your, your, what they call a EDP, 
um, the discount program for large enterprises that Amazon has. It allows you to burn down your commitment for that EDP by making these software purchases through Marketplace. And it allows you to amplify your purchases within Amazon, which entitles you to a bigger discount. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and additionally, you know, the, it's, it's, anyway, yeah. I won't get into the detail, but it's also in many cases simpler uh, to make those purchases through AWS than perhaps to you know have to go through the rigmarole of uh, adding something to your AOP in the middle of the year kind of stuff because you can make these purchases through Amazon that or maybe a Delta on your existing operating plan, right? Mm -hmm. Tim, yeah, Tim it oh, sounds like that um, this marketplace is very convenient for customers but it could sound like it's overwhelming as well. How, if you're looking at this in the marketplace, how do you know you're making the right technology purchases and decisions for your organization through this marketplace? Because it sounds like it's overwhelming. Nah, it can be, you're right. And uh, it's also a hard thing to put up those guardrails and police. So, um, right. which can be an advantage or a disadvantage. If you're a, in middle management, you want to go spin up, you know, a, a red hat cluster, that might be an advantage. If you're the CFO and you're not wanting people to go spin up <laughs> red hat clusters, sure. yeah. you know, that, that's a bit of a disadvantage. But, you know, it's it's early enough that it, there, right now there's a learning curve. And it's not just, you know, the insights as a consulting partner, they're putting together these, it's uh, the vendors, we're all, they're learning with us. The customers, as you mentioned, Bob, they're learning, but also AWS is learning. So, um, you know, in the vernacular within Amazon, what, what we're seeing, we have customers where their Amazon spend was X. And now with marketplace purchases, their Amazon spend has gone to 2X. So, uh, I mean, the, 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 effectively, the, their purchases, the, their Amazon as a vendor is doubled just because, you know, we can even put professional services and uh, management contracts through marketplace now. So, uh, you know, we have deals in excess of $10 million that are now lined up to potentially be transacted through marketplace where traditionally they wouldn't have been. And to your point, uh, you know, it makes it convenient for the folks to, A, you know, there, there's, a, there's a discount at 10 million, but by going to 2X, it's not like their discount on AWS is going to be 2X, but it might be 25% more. They might be getting 25% greater discount if they were, if they were, Making 10% off of their EDP, now they're getting, you know, call it 1.1 uh, 1. 1, 1 point, or 12 and a half points, or, you know, it could be even more that it could be a 50% increase on their discount. They're eligible by running these uh, software purchases through Marketplace. So it's a yeah. bit of the Wild West, and people are still trying to get their head around it, but everybody's eager to do it. Long winded answer to your question, nobody. No, I mean, I find it, I think it's fascinating. I think that ultimately there's this major shift in business models that you know we're really not talking about but is very much there right so you know if you think about it if i'm a distributor you know just a traditional distributor in the technology space i'm watching some of my share i'm watching share shift happen i'm watching you know instead of customers coming to me to purchase software through a reseller relationship you know they're now going straight to Amazon and Amazon's facilitating that transaction and incenting them to do it by giving them those price breaks, right? So, you know, you've got this channel shift that's going on. So a distributor is threatened. In addition to, and, and you know, when I say threatened, I mean, 
it just, it, you know, it's a market dynamic, you know, and how, you know, the question becomes, how is the distributor going to respond to this, right? And then, you know, from our perspective, and when I say our, I mean, systems integrator consulting perspective, you know, it's important for us to make sure that we are incorporating or embedding value and services into this motion, right? So in a moment ago, you talked about having, you know, packaged services and packaged offerings within the Amazon marketplace, critical, right? Because right now, the two values that we seem to provide are price breaks by going through us in the Azure marketplace, but eventually that's probably going to go away. And so, you know, what you probably have here is an opportunity to really begin to embed services and consulting into this motion in while it's maturing so that in the future when it is a you know mature marketplace you know we're we're there we're always there we're you you know we're packaged and hardwired into the motion so it's you know it's like the future forward type thing which makes this business so exciting is that it's constantly moving it's so important elliot exactly what you just said and it also you know it's uh insight adding value to the customer but it's also insight adding value to, you know, what you termed ISV, right? So it's also us being able to demonstrate, hey, listen, you know, you're going to have a higher level of customer satisfaction, you know, with things like one call, you know, we're going to be able to, to reduce churn and we create more loyal, happy customers for you, Mr. ISV, and for the customer, right? You know, hey, listen, we're going to give you a much more reliable, better experience oh, by attaching things like one call support, uh, you know, and as I mentioned, you know, we, we can even do PS. So we could do migrations, transformations. There's a whole bunch of things that we can run through marketplace attached or pulling through uh, these software purchases. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So, you know, if we kind of segue off the marketplace for a bit, you know, we talk about AWS um, just, you know, as a, a platform. Um, you know, I'm always asked, you know, we're always asked right on the Microsoft side, what, why Azure versus AWS or why AWS over Azure? And, you know, there's different ways to answer that a lot. Most frequently, it, it really kind of boils down to where the customer's coming from in the conversation and where, what investments they've already made from a perspective of if they've already made tremendous investments into Microsoft, sometimes Azure is the right outcome just because of that. But, you know, from an AWS perspective, how do, how do you go into that dialogue, you know, where somebody says, why AWS over Azure? Well, it'd be nice to, you know, kind of let the sleeping dog lie. But, Elliot, it's, it's always one of the first topics is money, <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, did, in, in fairness, you know, we're Microsoft Partner of the Year. It's no secret that, uh, uh, you know, our Microsoft business is probably a larger part of our business than our AWS business. So, uh, and we have a lot of people that are traditionally very familiar with that Microsoft motion. But uh, what we found is that, you know, when we go into these, these opportunities, uh, you know, we're picking a horse. And that horse is typically Microsoft at the beginning. And, you know, we're doing cost assessment. and we might even do some cost uh, evaluations in our assessment phase saying, all right, this is what it would cost you with AWS and this is what it will cost you at Microsoft. What we're finding out, well, some folks are finding out, some of us already knew, Amazon is typically in these accounts too, right? So they're talking to these folks and they're coming to us. You know, I've had a few cases where large enterprises, large strategic customers of ours, they've made that, we've presented, we've gone in with that Microsoft pitch and the customer has decided on AWS. And that isn't 
decision has been not influenced by us at all. It's been totally driven by uh, the, the relationship AWS already has within that account. Fortunately, when we find ourselves in that position, we're on our back foot, right? Because now, now what I'll get is I'll get the call in month five after, you know, three or four months after the pitch. And, you know, they'll be like, hey, Tim, we understand we do AWS and customer XYZ. They've made an AWS decision. Is there any way we can support that and support the rebuild? Some cases we'll go to Amazon and they'll be like, hey, listen, uh, you know, four months ago you were selling against us. You know, we already picked a partner and it isn't you because, uh, you know, we, me and this other partner, you know, so in other cases, AWS is bid it direct. And they're, God bless them, they'll come to us and say, hey, listen, we know that there's a whole heck of a lot of Microsoft workloads at this customer and they're rationalizing a data center and they have 8,000 VMs uh, within this data center and they wanna move those to, to AWS. And we realize that nobody knows their Microsoft environment better than you. So what we're gonna do, we do wanna team with you on the PS side of this and help you, have you help us with the migration. Other times they're saying, hey, listen, we've already got another partner. So- um, And just yeah. really while you're talking, I mean, what that I think brings up, and you know, this is sort of the, you know, sausage behind the curtain kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. the ugly part of our business is that, you know, there, there is the technology and, you know, what's the better technology and then there is the business part to this so you you know you just said something that i I don't know if everybody knows you know which is that you're there is you know aws is partnering with you know another you know a partner consulting firm whatever however you know company a right and if they're brought into the uh dialogue first with the customer either from the customer because aws brings them into the conversation there's a certain and I think I'm right about this, and this is where I need you to confirm it. You know, there's certain preferred pricing that they get because they're the preferred partner in that te- that conversation. That and so as a result, when you talk about rebilling, you're talking about the fact that they get a greater level of margin because of that status. Is that fair, or did I say that wrong? Well, it's it's actually it's it's a pretty level playing field. Okay, but, but the thing is, it's uh, at Amazon's discretion, so that they. particularly in the EDP, it's a pass-through term, Amazon will give you a hard no. They'll say, hey, listen, you know, this customer is going to stay direct or, you know, there has to be consent to assign. And one of the people consenting to that assign has to that assignment has to be Amazon. So Amazon will give you a hard no and they do it often, particularly the larger. When you said said EDP, what what does that mean? It's it's their enterprise discount program. So it's like an EA in your Microsoft world. Right, uh, vernacular. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pick a Fortune 10 company, right? They're all going to have EDPs with Amazon. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, you'd be surprised. There is some naivety where, like, folks, you know, if this is a talking to folks internal to our company here, you know, Amazon's talk. If you're in a big customer, Amazon is talking to them. You can be assured. And then, you know, Rich Uncle Bezos has lots of money and he's, more than happy to give that money to customers to help facilitate an Amazon decision, right? Mm-hmm. In the case, they have a map program. They have a whole slew of different programs that facilitate migrations. They give credits. We have a customer. Yeah, I know. I mean, and I think that's right. So we we live this, right? You know, in the mm-hmm. sense that it's important, you know, to to acknowledge that in most of our clients, we're not just competing with 
other partners, but we're competing with, you know, Microsoft and we're competing with AWS and we're because they, you know, they've got a direct motion as well. And, you know, when you talk about that EDP, what you're saying is, you know, if if we're engaging a company like I'm just going to make I'm just going to throw one out there like Ford. Right. You know, Ford's going to have an EDP. Right. But, you, you know, as a partner, you won't get the ability to price through the EDP unless AWS lets that happen, right? And if <laughs> yeah, AWS, okay. you know, and then if AWS, you know, recognizing AWS is selling it to Ford, there has to be a very compelling reason for them to let you do that, which it typically ends up being what we're very good at, which is the services side, the value that we provide in the impl implementation is what I'm thinking. That's exactly right. And it's a, it's a business case, right? Yeah. So it's, it's very pragmatic. And subjective. I hate, to, I hate to say it, but it's a little bit subjective. So, you know, in spite of you know, waving the objectivity flag throughout the process, what we find is that if we go and we say, hey, listen, you know, right now we manage six of Ford's data centers. Right now, you know, we hold the EA agreement. Right now, you know, we, we do the managed service uh, right now on everything, all of their platforms and infrastructure, you know, we we are their de facto partner. And we go to Amazon and say, you know, we have a ton of value in this relationship and we're going to continue to manage this. We're going to facilitate the migration. Ford has already made an insight decision on the migration uh, or the transformation. Then AWS is going to say, eh, yeah, you guys, you're adding a ton of value. And you know what? Uh, we need you. This is a Ford can't live without you. And you know what? We want you to own this thing. And we'll, you're entitled to have this bill through too. So, uh, which could be, yeah, we won't talk about margin, but I mean, it, it, could, it could be a significant amount of GP that is available there from that rebuild you yeah. know, to the tune of many millions of dollars a month. Yeah. And that, and that gets back to the whole thing of the, you know, making the sausage or what's behind the curtain, you know, and it's important for, you know, folks in the marketplace to acknowledge, you know, to, to know, and they, they do. I mean, our customers are very savvy. They know that, you know, these are dynamics that are going on there, but, you know, there's the, you know, there's the technology and finding the right solution, you know, that is AWS and or Microsoft and or Google going to be the right outcome. And then there's understanding that there's math behind the scenes and that, you know, it's really important to know that you're working with a partner that's going to provide you a, you know, an agnostic recommendation based on what's the best technical outcome, you know, and that that ends up, you know, getting lost frequently and, um, you know, you know, one of the benefits that I think we have on this call is that we work in a very agnostic environment and so we can have a very free flowing conversation because we know in the end what's important for the customer from a technology perspective and from their own business priority perspective is what's going to matter mm -hmm. um in the end it's sort of how i kind of digest all this stuff more than anything you, you know tim i got a question for you i when i was at microsoft it was clear that aws was an early adopter to the cloud and uh, picked up a lot of share because mm -hmm. microsoft was playing catch up for a long time in the cloud space. They're doing a good job now and probably have caught up a lot to where they're pretty comfortable being number two in the market, uh, obviously with the goal of being number one. Um, what's interesting is I, early on, I saw it as more of a religious type of scenario, right? Like we're AWS and we're staying there and we're not doing anything else. But lately I've seen customers really start to look at more of a multi-cloud strategy, right? is having some Azure workloads, having AWS, where it's not so 
political or religious anymore where they're starting to do multi-cloud. Have you seen a lot of that or do you still see more more customers, you know, stay on one platform or the other? No, I think they're they're all of our customers. But one one of the interesting things, Bob, to that point, uh, I, I just re- just recently did an RFP for two hundred million dollars. But uh, what happened? I'm not sure if you knew this, but uh, with I think this is public knowledge, so I can share this. But uh, I want to say it was the Library of Congress. Oracle protested, mm-hmm. so uh, Oracle wasn't included on the bid. So that and they won. So their their protest was acknowledged. And now I think what we're going to see in the federal space is as we're doing these RFPs, like the 200 million one I did last weekend, uh, you know, they're they're going to have, we had to represent all cloud, including IBM (laughs) so and Google. So we have Google and IBM and AWS. And the way the RFP I was bidding on was written, you could tell that this very large federal department level uh, organization, they were actually going more multi-cloud. They they were almost exclusively AWS. Uh, but in, as we got to years three, four, five, so much more was going to Google and Azure. So it, to your point, I think that's going to be the new norm, right? Uh, I, but I what I'm curious about, Bob, and you know, this is a question to you guys, because but I don't know if that's more of an ideal. Because, I mean, what I do know is, you know, also dabbling in the Google side, that the way AWS does things and the way Google does things, they don't lend themselves to being multi-cloud. You have domains and projects versus, you know, orgs and accounts. And the the way it's even architected, the nuts and bolts of it, is not necessarily conducive to dynamic workloads moving from one cloud to another. I mean, that'd be interesting, you guys' thoughts on I think you're spot on. I mean, my, that's my immediate reaction. So I think, you know, like, for example, you just brought something up and the imperative from a government perspective is very, you know, uh, special to the government, you know, in the sense that they, you know, they got sued on the Library of Congress. They got sued on Jedi. You know, they, they're beginning to realize that, you know, we, we just have to have a, a, you know, equal playing field. Otherwise, we're just never going to get to move forward. Right. So there's that's a government. I think that's a very government sensitive type response. But I think in the commercial segment, I think 100% correct. You know, it's it's like, what's the benefit of having a multi-cloud strategy? And I can see some, right? I can see in terms of redundancy or, you know, like, the, you know, typically that's when you have that conversation. It's, it's tied to redundancy. What happens if, you know, your, your environment goes down because Microsoft goes down, you want to have some sort of backup with AWS or vice versa, you know, something like that. But I think the you know, the truth is that business is much more, it evolves, it's more complex. You know, I have a company, I acquire another company that acquires another company, and all of a sudden I've got three platforms. And so I've got to be able to support all three platforms, you know, and, you know, I think that the truth is, is that we have, a, you know, a, you know, we find ourselves in multi-cloud environments that we have to support. And then, and then I'm very interested to understand to your overarching question, what's the technology imperative that would, you know, say we need to have AWS and Azure and Google running concurrently because of these reasons? You know, is there one thing that's specifically that much better at AWS and one thing that's that much better in Azure, one thing that's that much better in Google that we need to have all three at the same time? You know, I like to think of it as a business analogy. And in my mind, I always try to tie those together. So as a consumer, it's good for you if Lowe's and Home Depot are across the street from each other, right? 
because it keeps prices low and you're going to want to go to a place that has your lowest price for your shovel or your lumber or whatever. And when you're looking at these clients, um, mostly the bigger ones, they obviously use AWS and Azure against each other because they're looking for the best discount. They're looking for the lowest price. They're looking for funding sources that you mentioned, right, for migration. And I think it's inter interesting because uh, back to my earlier point about being a political, religious type of scenario, I still think it is, to your point, because you don't want to re-architect for Azure if you're very comfortable in AWS. You probably don't. But you sure do want that price leverage. <laughs> and I think a lot of those clients will do that to to um, try to squeeze more points or more discounts out of deals so that they can do that. Um, you know, there's there's probably Microsoft is the hungriest after an AWS customer. And you will see them bring resources. You will see them bring money. You'll see whatever it is to move that platform um, over to Azure from AWS. So I, I'm assuming AWS is the same way and trying to protect the castle, if you will. Um, from a Microsoft price attack, but it's just really interesting how, um, you know, we're moving forward in this platform type of area where we're going to have a lot of large players. You mentioned them all, right? Oracle, Google, IBM. Um, there are going to be a lot of choices for clients to um, buy their hardware from, you know, for lack of a better term, right? Mm -hmm. The Home Depot, uh, Lowe's example. So it's, it's just really interesting on clients looking at different options that they're going to have and sort of like the micro, the mar the marketplace we were talking about, they're going to have a lot of different choices and options. You know, so, but then if I connect the dots between those things is if the reason I've got, you know, two or three partners, so let's just AWS and Azure that I'm buying from, you know, that I, that I've propped up because, you know, my goal is to get a, a net, you know, cheaper outcome because I'm playing the two off of each other, right? I'm saying to Microsoft, hey, I've got AWS and here I can get a better price here and vice versa. Then, you know, whatever that price break is, you have to measure that and offset that against the operational challenges that you have managing multiple platforms, which I think is real. You know, I mean, in the sense that if I've got, you know, AWS and Azure and Google, you know, there's, you know, three moving parts instead of one. And I'm very much simplifying the whole thing. But I think it's actually to Tim's earlier point, you know, that we've got, you know, this inherent overhead tied to each one of these platforms. And when you pull them all together, then you're asking more from your operation. So I think I think I think that's the that's one of the, you know, from an economics perspective, that's one of the things that needs to be talked through. You know, are you really getting the price break that you're looking for because you have this overhead tied to it? Mm -hmm. Or not, maybe, and maybe there's another reason to do this. I mean, you know, along those lines, when I think of Azure, I think of, you know, infrastructure as a service, it's a software as a service, and then you have this thing called platform as a service where I'm developing applications within Azure to scale. Um, does AWS, you know, have something, you know, how would you articulate the AWS platform as a service? Uh, AWS, and it's strangely, to give you a, a little bit of a, a step back here. So, um, you know, when I was at the reInvent in 2012, I was there for NetApp, that product, which is a very much enterprise class offering, right? And NetApp at that point would claim that they had, you know, 80% of federal and they, they had these niche businesses, even though Dell EMC probably had a greater market share than that, but it was 100% died in the wool 
uh, Enterprise. We were almost the Enterprise guys there. It was all like these uh, startups. And a lot of them aren't startups anymore. You know, a lot of them are yeah. now enterprise class solutions. You know, you have, I know you guys, you know, we talk about things like Databricks and, you know, we can talk about, and what what Amazon did is they took a lot of these and I'd hate to say it, but they, you know, they, 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 if they saw something that had value, they pretty much built it themselves. You have things like Route 53, you have elastic load balancers, you have ECS that competes with Kubernetes, you have all these Amazon native services that uh, comp- compete with these uh, these services that are that are that are enterprise. So, to your question, a lot of it's going more towards serverless. Uh, a lot of it's going more towards function as a service. You know, code as a service. Uh, you know, a lot of it isn't even infrastructure or platform as a service. It's a whole new realm that they're not. What's strange is I have customers that are you know not big scale that I'm doing you know ECS. Uh, clusters run Docker. They want to containerize things, and they only have ten, a half dozen servers <laughs> that they want to go spend twenty thousand dollars doing this stuff. But uh, what what I'd say is that, that uh, and this is a question that I have is that it's it comes down to to workforce. Some of it comes down to workforce, and that has to be part of your economic uh, situation. And you know, there's there's one of the benefits Amazon has is that maybe they got an earlier start. You know, when I was at reInvent 2012 and 80% of the companies there were startups and they were getting on the stage with Jassy and, you know, talking about their next great thing. Some of it became the next great thing. I mean, you, you, companies like Lyft and, you know, you could talk about some of these companies that stood up on that stage. Uh, and, you know, full disclosure, I'd say that Amazon of their 46, $50 billion that they did in uh, AWS did in 2019 or whatever the heck that number was. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if 60, 70% of that was Lyft and Netflix and, you know, some of these big anchor customers uh, that they started with early. And I would say that Azure, you know, quite frankly, you have a foot up on the enterprise space because a, they built the platform with enterprise in mind because B in a lot of those guys that, uh, you know, no .NET, the no visual studio, the no SQL server, the no windows server, they know Azure, right? Whereas if you come over to the Amazon where you're going to have things like route 53, you're going to have dynamo DB, you're going to have all these things that, uh, you know, granted, if you spent some time, you could probably get your head around of it. And it's pretty darn intuitive, but still it's a, it's a shift from, you know, these guys working in the, you know, Dynamics, Microsoft, Visual Studio, .NET world. It's a bit of a leap. And plus, it's sort of counterintuitive. So uh, what I'd say is the breadth, Amazon has 200 plus native services. So, you know, we talk about elastic containers. We talk about, you know, Route 53 for DNS, CloudFormation, which is same as the HashiCorp, Terraform type stuff. You know, they have all these native services. They do so much more. And once you rely on those, once you're using CloudFormation, once you're using Control Tower, once you're using it, it's almost game over. It's going to be really hard going back to the earlier conversation, multi-cloud. I don't know. Once you're down the road with all these AWS native services, I don't know that it's an easy lift and shift to go to another cloud. Mm-hmm. 
What yeah, it, pedigree seems to be a huge thing here. It's, you know, hey. where how did the company grow up and where's your workforce come from? And, you know, where have you made your investment? You know, I think that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious, like, I mean, if anyone's done any statistical analysis on workforce, because to me, that's a big part of it, right? It's a big part of our value prop because we are that backstop. You know, we are these Microsoft or, or AWS experts that, you know, people can turn to and say, you know, hey, listen, you know, how do I do Okta as a, a single sign on on AWS? You know, you don't need to have every single, you know, skill set to cover AWS or Azure. And that's a big part of what we do. But uh, to me, you know, if I wasn't if I was a CIO and I was making an investment in either AWS or Microsoft, I think the available workforce piece would probably be one of the, I guarantee you staffing OPEX and, you know, some of these consulting fees end up being the, one of the bigger parts of that equation that people don't always uh, acknowledge or recognize when they're doing these cost assessments. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. That's a huge tangent. I'm sorry. I got the way off topic. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I don't, uh, there is no tangent today, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's, it's free flowing information. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, you know what? It's interesting, though. But when you think about the big players that are out there, right, um, these Fortune 500, 200, 100 companies, they have relationships with the Oracles, the IBMs, the Microsofts, the AWSs of the world already. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, conversation is going to continue to get muddier and muddier and muddier as a lot of that stuff is being done in the boardroom, uh, those decisions being made, because, um, you know, Oracle Cloud is not as popular as Azure or AWS, but if a client has a huge Oracle spend, uh, there may be a push for them to do more Oracle Cloud moving forward. So it's it's just really interesting dynamic of all these players um, that have been traditional software type of companies that uh, that are now in the cloud, right? Mm-hmm. Microsoft, for example, when I was there, was clearly the number one software provider in the world. And I don't even know if they consider themselves a software player anymore, right? They're a cloud company. So it's just very interesting how these different dynamics are changing in the corporate level to make these decisions moving forward. To me, a lot of it's no brainer, right? So sometimes when somebody comes to me and says, you know, hey, listen, you know, I'm I'm a Disney Studios and I need tons of transcode. And it's just like, well, yeah, Amazon. You know, if if you're doing an e-commerce shop, and, you know, you're doing tons of online marketing. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, that's Google. That's double click. That's big query. That's obvious. Right. And the same for like, you know, Azure, I think, is a default for some of these uh, traditional enterprise workloads that are running on. And Oracle is obviously huge in that real time bidding uh, advertising space, you know, the popping ads along with Google. So, um, I mean, some of it, I think, is going to default. Right. I think some of these workloads, once we you know, us, we're, we're all cloud guys and we can think like, oh, okay, you know, the Amazon has their own native transcode services that just about everybody. There's a reason Netflix runs. All- There's a whole bunch of things that you're just naturally going to default to Amazon and Google, you know, between double click and BigQuery and everything they do in the advertising space. I mean, it's going to become the de facto So uh, I think that'll in some ways drive that multi-cloud thing. And I think it's, more people become conversational about it, more sellers, more people in our field start to realize, oh, okay, so you're you're a big, e-, and I'm having this conversation now, so I know you're a big e-commerce shop based out of Canada. 
Uh, you does, you know, basically, yeah, I get it. You, you use big query and there's some things you need to do there and blah, blah, blah. And uh, telling them, no, 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 you shouldn't use big query. You should use Azure for this, you know, $500,000 month workload. I don't think that makes sense. I don't think anybody's going to see that intuitive, but people are trying to lay the boundaries. If you ever yep. played like those games, uh, you know, what was it risk or something where you're yeah. trying to decide, yeah. you know, <laughs> what, what, what tanks you're going to move into what country. And, uh, I think we'll see more of that in the next few years where like, it'll just be intuitive. Like, okay. You know, I have a whole bunch of SQL databases I need to run. And, uh, you know, uh, of course you're going to use Azure. I have yeah. 365 is almost already that way, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, G Suite, I, I'm curious, like, what do you see in terms of G Suite versus 365? Um, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess the question is, how often do we run into that conversation? And, um, you know, I, I it, not, a lot less than it used to be. I'll just put it that way. I think that's the right. best way for me to say it. You know, I mean, there, there was a time, you know, where that was a real conversation where we were having it all the time. And, you know, earlier we talked about how Azure and, you know, if there's an AWS deal, there'll be money thrown at it. Vice versa, AWS will throw money at a Microsoft deal. It used to be like that with Google um, where, you know, like, gosh, if, you know, there's a compete, there was money, you know, but I, you know, I, that's just not in the vernacular anymore. That's the best way for me to say it. You know, it's like the, it, you know, the, the heat isn't there anymore. Um, now I'm sure that doesn't mean that we don't run into that, you know, a certain frequency throughout the day. But it's just not it's just not as pervasive as, you know, what I remember back in the time machine. But um, Bob, can you add to that? I mean, yeah, I sure can. It's funny. I'm, I'm going to age myself again because when I was a Microsoft seller, it was selling against Lotus Notes, right? Yeah. It was exchange versus <laughs> yeah. notes. I remember Lotus. And, and uh, you know, Microsoft won that battle clearly. Yeah. And um, it started off the same way. It was Office 365 versus Google and Microsoft has really won that. Now you'll still see Google in places like um, colleges and things like that where it, it's little to nothing, nothing or Google's paying for it to be there. But um, in the corporate space, Office 365 has done a heck of a good job, um, you know, be able to provide security and everything else that goes with it. So it has really won that battle from email where it's become no brainer. And in fact, it's very strange to even see an exchange customer anymore, which is mm -hmm. kind of hard to believe, but uh, there are a few out there still, but uh, you know, on-prem email is a thing of the past. And geez, 15 years ago, there was there, that was really Microsoft's first entree to the cloud. Yeah, it really was. I, I actually just, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my wife's a teacher, second grade teacher, and you know, they live with, you know, Google and, you know, there's just a whole nother subset of, right. you know, market, you know, so some of this is a market conversation, you know, just in all fairness to Google in the sense that um, I'm not, you know, when, as I responded, I was not thinking about the academic market, you know, the K through 12 market, where if you, you know, if you want to have a K through 12 conversation, Google should be at the top of the list, right? So it's a, it's a different, you know, world out there, but um, so, and then I think about Lotus. So I'm having an ADD moment right now. So then I think about, you know, Lotus. I was at Lotusphere. Did either of you guys ever get to Lotusphere? Okay. No, I, I did, did get to Lotus though, but not the Lotusphere. Lotusphere was their big annual event. And, you know, I went to one. And the reason I'll never lose, you know, like the visual of it was they gave away these 
yellow. It was at Orlando. I think it was, you know, like one of the parks and they gave away a yellow backpack, you know, just this bright yellow backpack. And there was about 30,000 people there. And it was like 30,000 bees walking all over the place. Cause everybody <laughs> wore their backpacks. And I remember I was really young at the time. I was really in my career. And it's just the first time I'd ever seen this, this industry can be, you know, gratuitous at best, you know, and then the fact that there was 30,000 people and there were 30,000 people wearing backpacks and it, it did look like a swarm of bees. And so Lotus Fears always stuck in my mind. And then, of course, in the years that followed, there were no more Lotus Fears. So I, I, don't, I don't worry about that. Yes. All those many years ago. So what's you next? Know, you, what's going to pop up next? So, I mean, is IoT, is, uh, you know, these edge hybrid, does does Microsoft, I don't even know if Microsoft has like a outpost AWS thing, like one of these converged infrastructure edge offerings. But they just, Azure put one of those together. Yeah. So uh, this is where, you know, my 200 level understanding fails. You know, I know yeah. that we've got, <laughs> um, you know, there is an IoT component to Azure, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. but um, a converged, you know, so when I hear converged, I think that you're talking about, you know, device plus IOT threads back into Azure. Um, well, but so, um, not. are you familiar with like FlexPod, you know, the I'm net not. app offer? Okay. Nope. So it's a converged in FlexPod is a VMware and Cisco and NetApp storage. And there might be a few other components I'm missing, but, uh, and it comes on a pallet is a rack and uh, you drop it in the data. So you know, it's sort of like it, it's a modular data center. Yeah. And, and rather than, you know, people having 20 racks of NetApp filers and then 20 racks of Dell servers, it's more like, okay, I got one, I've used that I've capacity. I add another one to the cluster and I add another one. What uh, Amazon has come up with is Outpost, which is their own converged infrastructure. Mm. So yeah. if you think of like OpenStack, so now what they're doing is uh and it runs all your native AWS stuff on the AWS hypervisor and, you know, it's EC2 and S3. They're putting in data centers so that now your AWS is at your data center. And, you know, you can start hearing potentially that sucking sound of like things like, you know, NetApp data on tap going to, you know, EBS or, you know, you start see hearing that sucking sound where they're, eventually what they've done is they've created a catalog of services that is so exhaustive that they feel like, you know, they can compete with just about anything in the data center. So uh, they're, they're going to be trying to offset, uh, I think, a lot of that stuff. And I anticipate, I anticipate because Azure, you know, and AWS are pretty much in lockstep on many things that the Azure probably already has one in process or, you know, is, is something out there maybe. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, they're, you know, your, and your point is valid. These two are constantly, you know, up, upping each other, right? So if somebody brings out something, it's it's a me too type deal all the time. So yes, to your point, um, there could easily be something that's comparable on the Azure side that I just don't have visibility to, and I'm gonna have homework after today. So this well, that's is, a podcast, Elliot. I think it could be a podcast. Our, our I, like yeah. like I love as it. Well, right? That's really that's a, good. That's a topic. Boom. Topic. It is. It is, and you know, and, and then it gets, you know, what this all speaks to is the innovation that this whole thing is, you know, forcing. This is all forcing great innovation, which is, it is. yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It all right. Well, I, I think we're about to hit the mark here. I think we're really, I'm looking at the time and this is, we've, we've taken an hour of your day, Tim. So uh, we are, yeah. we I are feel grateful bad for I, that. It was a less, 
I would never give me an unstructured conversation because it'll just go wherever. Hopefully, I didn't offend no, anybody. No, this is actually perfect. No, this is we'll give you an hour all day. This is perfect. <laughs> all right, guys. All right, excellent. Well, thanks again, Tim. Bob, right. mission accomplished. Yeah, we'll right. see. You. Another Talk one. Talk to y'all later. Another one racked up. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> see you.